Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to the Posse Clatch. This is Marianne Russo. Uh, May Wilkinson and Chuck Wally are holding down the fort on our simultaneous tweet chat um, using the hashtag TCK. And um, you can join others there, other parents. You can share and discuss the interview or discuss any issues that you might be having. Tonight, I am very excited to have Dr. Lynn Kenny as my guest. Uh, Dr. Kenny is one of the most accessible psychologists in the United States, and she is an expert for Dr. Oz's ShareCare.com, Organized Wisdom, Pediatric Safety, and, and many more. And you'll you find her advice in Parenting Magazine, Parents, and Working Mother Magazines. Um, she's very dedicated to helping parents raise happy, competent, and ethical children. Uh, you know, Professionally, she's outstanding, but I think more importantly is she's a mom, and she's an author, she's a producer, an educator, and um, she's really getting out there the importance of bringing brain-based parenting skills um, to radio and um, to the Internet. And um, on a personal note, I would just like to say that, you know, I have the pleasure of knowing Lynn and collaborating with her, and one of the things that most impressed me about her is her absolute respect for the parent as the expert for their child. And it's it's just so important in the success of treatment. And I'm sure many of you have seen her on TV and heard her on the radio, but tonight you're really going to meet Dr. Kenny in a very personal light and find out why I am so proud to announce our joint venture together. We will be hosting Talking Parenting on our upcoming network, Talking Special Needs. So welcome, Dr. Lynn Kenny. Hi, Lynn. How are you? Hey, my. I'm so happy to be talking with you. I'm lovely. Thank you. Well, I want to start off by talking about your career because your career has taken some very interesting and, you know, luckily for our parents, very interpersonal twists and changes. So I'd like you to just start off by telling us about your practice and how you took your experience working um, with families um, to a different level. You know, why did you go from an in-office therapist to a clinician, you know, working on tennis courts and the supermarket and at the dinner tables and in schools? Well, um, you're sweet to ask. I think the diversity actually started with my training because my master's degree was in sports psychology. Then my first fellowship was in forensics, and that was what my dissertation was on. And then I did a fellowship in developmental pediatrics. So I think that reflecting back, the my adaptability probably was just a character style. And then over time, as I was seeing families, I, I've mostly worked in medical settings, developmental pediatrics, real pediatric settings, and I was starting to notice that the in-office model, while a very uh, reputable and good model for some people, wasn't the best model for my pediatric people. My pediatric clients were, are your friends. You know, they were maybe they um, bore, they bore a unique child, or um, they had some sort of genetic challenge that got passed down in the family, or they were just running into the daily typical stuff we have, Marianne. You know, I'm getting a new child and. And how do I adapt to that? My children won't sleep. What do I do about that? And so because I was in pediatrics, I was able to start going into the homes, and that changed everything. It, it one, re-energized my career because I, I was tired of being in an office, and my husband noticed that before I did. And, two, I learned how to help people really quickly with skills-based interventions so that they didn't feel like the relationship was interminable and they were seeing progress really rapidly. Right, and you know that's key. That's really key. And you know, as I said, in, in as I was introducing you, I mean, you see the parents as an expert, and you have a collaborative relationship. I have been 
through both sides of this. I have had um, the relationships where I was not being heard, and I have now relationships where it is very collaborative. And there's nothing more frustrating for a parent than when they are not being heard, especially when it comes to choices in medications and reporting side effects and, and different, you know, um, how the therapies are working. So, you know, your, your program, and what you're teaching parents is brain-based. So can you just start off by explaining that so that this way, the rest of the interview, um, everyone will understand what we're talking about. Oh, sure. Well, I actually just spent 12 hours on a talk about this, and I, and I had written, you know, I was like, okay, what is a brain-based intervention? So I've written three criteria. <clears throat> a brain-based intervention is, one, something that engages the neurons of the brain. Okay, so it can be the motor neurons, um, but, you know, the cognitive aspects of the brain, but it actually gets the neurons firing. That's number one. Two, it's a collaborative intervention, meaning that we don't just top down, tell the kid, you know, Dr. Lin was here, so now we're changing everything. It's more like Dr. Lin is here to help us have a happy family, so what do we want to do as a family in order to find more peace and happiness? So two, it's collaborative. And three, it enhances skill sets. And the thing that I learned most in working with families is that a lot of times we have expectations, Marianne, for our children, mm-hmm. but we don't teach them the actual new words, new thoughts, and new actions to meet those task demands. And so all over America, in schools and at homes, we're unintentionally punishing our children all the time, when if we were teaching them and actually handing them the new words, thoughts, and actions, we would, do, we would be doing brain-based interventions that change lives. And, you know, I think that's why you and I from day one um, really have have had this bond because, you know, one of the most important messages that I try to get out to parents that I've learned firsthand is that bad behaviors and, you know, seemingly oppositional or aggressive outbursts are not always defiance. They're basically a, a lack of coping, social, or, you know, calming skills. And I think that, you know, that is how we, is why we really connected because now you teach other clinicians as well how to bring these skill-based trainings into these families' homes because uh-huh. it's not working. These parents that are doing the old, doing the old school are getting no uh-huh. The children are falling into the abyss and the parents are just feeling defeated. So, you know, tell us about it. Tell us about the what you're teaching clinicians. Well, the first thing that I'm really happy about, Marianne, is that skill sets, enhancing strategies and skill sets has been going on in education for a long time, but it really is new to psychology. It's about 20 years old with the boom of cognitive behavioral psychology. The next boom in psychology is going to be brain-based interventions Uh, and exciting things like reinforcing curiosity and reinforcing creativity and stop treating everybody as though, one, they're a patient, and two, they're bad. So I'm happy to say that I see the whole field improving, and that makes me really happy because I have lots of clinicians who want to – I teach the family coach method now online – to clinicians, and, and I get emails. Somebody emailed me, a clinician from India, can I take your program? And it's super inexpensive because I'm not in it for the money. I want to get these skill sets out, right? So the, the exciting thing is that, um, you know, one, people are ripe for brain-based interventions. Two, we're teaching them in the way that, that it's not that complicated. You know, I, like I've got this cupcake story that I tell people where I, when I when I give talks, I just say, you know, you can turn – 
a simple thing like mommy can I have a cupcake for dinner into a brain-based intervention simply by problem solving and encouraging the child to do some decision making and so I use the words and I actually model the sentences but it's not hard to become brain-based it's not hard to turn your kid into a thinker it's not hard to celebrate their creativity and ingenuity it's just that nobody I mean really aside from Ross Green who I really admire has been ta- oh and Jennifer Kalari has been talking about it as well has really been talking about it so while there are many 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 great parenting experts and their books are really good I think we made a mistake always living in the problem-solution type of methodology, mm-hmm. and we've got to go back to the foundation and start collaborating to build our children's abilities to think about it and figure it out and preview it and solve and then celebrate the fact that they can do it. Right. And, you know, the sad part of this is, as you said, you know, Dr. Ross Green, who you know we've interviewed twice on this show, um, you know, people think that this is new. Um, what he's teaching. But in fact, I called, actually I tried to call Dr. Uh, Ross Green 15 years ago when I read um, The Explosive Child. And I I called the wrong number. I called his home. And he he picked up the phone and spoke to me for 45 minutes. Yeah, I bet he was very kind. And that's He he was incredible. And, and, you know, he referred me to someone in my area that he was um, writing a book with. Um, Actually, I'm trying to have him on. But, you know, I've just been very fortunate because through this entire journey with my child, I've been taught, because the parents need to be trained. You know, I've been taught that sometimes if you if you deal with everything with kindness and not with the iron fist, mm-hmm. ev- the whole family is going to benefit. You know, and that's something that you talk about. You speak about the discipline trap. You know, yes. what is that and how can parents get out of it? You know, well, I think a lot exactly of people are stuck reflect, in it. I just want to reflect on one thing that makes me really happy, and that is I knew Ross Green would be nice too, even though I don't know him personally, but you can tell that by his writings. Mm-hmm. And I see that, you know, number one, if we, I think doctors need to respect the client, the parent, as a really knowledgeable resource and not as a, quote, patient. I think that will really help us improve things. And then two, when the doctor models with the client that they can collaborate on decision-making and thinking skills and calming skills, et cetera, et cetera, I think it enhances the parent's ability to collaborate with their child. So I'm just happy that that's going on more. You know what I mean? We've got to get out of, I think, this paradigm of the doctor knows everything and the patient knows nothing. So I just wanted to reflect on that. And Ross Green's and, and it doesn't have that. to be adversarial either. You know, it's know. really and, – and, you know, as you know, we end the show every day, become an informed, educated parent – I mean, th- that works for both ends of, of, of things here. This, that works when you're in your CSE meeting, and that works when you're in your child's um, doctor's office. Because, right. you know, there, there, there's that mutual respect, and if you're informed and educated, it's much easier to collaborate. But, I mean, you teach this, and, you know, the, I see the trend changing. I, you know, I, I definitely see a shift. <laughs> um, but it's been a long time coming. So, you I know... know how how do you teach parents to do this? Okay, so um, stepping into the discipline draft. Okay, this is this is the glitch. Is that I learned that through hanging out with these families. That to be honest, I thought, what am I doing wrong? These these families keep coming back. So I was doing problem solution based interventions in a developmental pediatric practice with highly competent parents who definitely knew. The steps, you know, I would, when I would teach them, as an example, you know, five steps to potty training that were personalized, of course. It wasn't just this, you know, rote thing. 
boy, that just kept coming back and back and back. And what I learned was that we were caught in this discipline trap. And the discipline trap was that we were believing that we could, and potty training is actually a bad example for what I'm about to say, but tantrums are a better example. We were we were starting to believe because everybody started really using time out that we we needed to be the powerful parent on the top of the hierarchy and coerce, control, threaten, cajole, and punish our child into a new behavior. And that doesn't work. It okay, it does work in the short term, but it you can win the battle and completely lose the war. And in America we're losing the war. And that's what the discipline trap is, believing that you need to punish your child into a new behavior when actually you need to hand them the skill sets to, exi- to you know, meet the conditions of the new behavior. Basically, you give them the skills so that they can do the task demands. Exactly. And, you know, that's really the key because, you know, these children, you know, as I said, you know, it's not a matter of right. them being defiant. They don't want to be defiant. They don't want to be a failure. They don't have the skills. And, you know, I, I, I think it's just so sad because, you know, I always tell people that, you know, the eyes are the window to the soul. And when there's anger in your eyes, your kids see it. And it has to hurt them. And, you know, that that's one of the things parents first, I think, need to do is to just look at their kids with different eyes and see the suffering instead of the behavior. Um, I agree, but know, I think that I think that Marianne and I, I would love to hear if you agree with me on this. I think that one of the reasons we parents slash to anger is because these children are so difficult for us. Uh, they make us feel incompetent and small and bad ourselves. You know, wouldn't good parents, um, you know, not have children who throw fits? Wouldn't good parents have children who don't devalue their grandparents or hit, bite, swear, kick, et cetera, et cetera? Right. And the answer is no. Good parents can have children who were born with complicated biology, hit by complicated environmental factors, and our goal is to not just label them and call them a name. We have to reach in there and find out what they're capable of doing and enhancing their strategy so they can be successful, happy social animals. Right, and and, and that's really something that you teach. I mean, I know, you know, it, it took a while before that lightning bolt, you know, hit me that... Um, these these kids don't, they can be brilliant. And I think that's so confusing to mm-hmm. both the clinician and the parent, that these children can be so bright, actually brilliant and gifted, but yet be, have such severe deficits. And right. it, it's so important to break it down into small skills and take one at a time because when you're trying to solve an academic problem and you're trying to solve a behavior problem and a social problem, it's just too much, you know. And and I think that's really what's so frustrating for parents is because it encompasses so many different areas of this child's life. You know, if you would, um, if you if you would be willing to, I'd like to tell you the five-step pyramid that answers what you were just talking about because think of that child who comes and they're labeled usually ODD and they're defiant which means they don't do what they're told they're prone to anger and outbursts they throw tantrums you know maybe sometimes they seem mean and manipulative you know that kind of child who many of the listeners may have a beautiful child like that living in their home and the cha- what I learned is that we have to ha- all the doctors need to know as well that there is at a minimum like this five step pyramid of intervention 
And, you know, one is, um, you know, organizing the environment such that the child can succeed because many of these families are in so much pain they live in chaos. And what I've learned is that disorganization teaches the brain, well, I can stay disorganized. And you can't get a uh, a child's brain to play connect the dots easily if it's a disorganized environment. Two, we need to do, and so if everybody was listening, they would just draw like a, a triangle, and on the bottom it's organization, and then the next tier is behavioral learning and developmental interventions. And Marianne, that's a huge domain. Mm-hmm. You know, um, all the developmental and behavioral interventions we can do, I and mean, just in the family coach method alone, I think I have 56 tools. Then the next level is food and supplementation, and I know you've interviewed people about food. I just can't even tell you how much I think food matters now. And every time I give a talk, you know, everyone always says, well, do you have any closing words? <laughs> and even right. though I talked about skill sets or who knows what I talked about, culture, I say, if I may suggest, I've seen over a 1,000 families now, and I've really seen food matter. So if you're open to this, would you just take one step today toward eating real whole food? Right. You know, that's my little request. And then above that, you've got neurotransmitters, and then above that, you've got medication. So the thing is that it's not just go to a doctor and get a pill. Some children definitely need medication, and you know that as well as I do. But there's all these other things underneath the medication that if we don't support the children and the families, the families generally don't get better. And and Exactly, and that's the sad part because the, the kids don't get better, the families don't get better, they lead themselves going into, you know, which I'm not going to go into now, but, you know, you wind up, yeah. if you don't get this under control, you wind up in a situation where right. now they go into their teen years, you you have to worry about them self-medicating, um, right. having bad self-esteem because they're failing at every aspect of their life, and then they come to the age of maturity, and that's when the big problems come in because you lose control over helping them. So it's so important to get this under control, you know, and that's why what you're doing with the family coach method and everything else is incredible. And about the food, you, you know, we had on Dr. Barry Sears last week, and the coffee clutch is taking on the zone diet because the zone but, diet is for inflammation and uh, hormonal imbalances. Right. So I love that, that you know, you're teaching that because, you know, sometimes we really got to go back to basics, you know. It's, it's pretty simple. Um, you know, um, I just want to – oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was go just going to add to the previous piece, Marianne, is that I had a mom – I can't remember whether she tweeted me or Facebooked me, but she basically said, um, I've got a diagnosis. Where do I go from here? Where do I begin? So if people go to lynnkenny.com into the blogs, I mean, just like within the last seven days, I think, I made a chart about where to begin the be- to the best of my ability. So I've got like the different doctors you could see, what the symptoms could be, what the potential interventions you could you could have. Because people, when they first get a diagnosis or they they or they just notice symptoms, they're afraid to actually notice the symptoms, and I don't blame them. Right. Because if you really acknowledge that the symptoms exist, then what do you do about it? So I've actually got this little JPEG that you can print out. And at least it gives you a tiny bit of a map of at least the names of the types of clinicians that you might want to be, you know, looking into. Right. And that's important because it's so confusing and unraveling it. And, you know, these kids, you know, and what I love about the show and what we're going to be doing um, on the new show is that the new way of looking at these children, because if you look at it, trying to identify and label them with that one diagnosis, you have so missed the mark and are doing such an injustice for this child because there's so many dimensions to it. 
um, that, you know, that's why the work you do is just so important because parents, you know, they're so overwhelmed. And, you know, parents also have to have to be taught. They have to learn the physical response in these children to stress, anxiety, and anger because it's a big part of it. Yeah, my my I agree with you. And you know how we... We always have like a flavor of the month, something, whether it's inhibition or focus execute or dysregulation or social skills. You know, we always have something that we're kind of working on and focusing on at one time. Right now, I'm really paying a lot of attention to the regulation skills in these kids and starting to teach the parents. You know, a lot of parents say to me, my child goes to zero to 60. And I teach about the caveman, and you know that. And, you know, the little, little time. Tell them about the caveman because that's that's huge. And um, Sure. Sure. Okay. So anyway, um, but, uh, you know, one of the skills I start teaching people is the antecedents, what to look for in the physiological and visual changes in the child and how to help them start to identify when they're going up what I call anger, anxiety, or energy mountain. So the short story on the caveman and the thinker is that the brain is very complex. It's more complex than I even know. I tell people I know about as much about the brain as I do. It would all fit in my pinky finger now, you know. But my job is to go into people's houses and make their lives better. So I take what I know and I teach them that you've got this primitive component of your brain, which is actually, I wouldn't even call it primitive. I, co- I would call it old now. The old brain is that limbic brain, and you've got a, you've, it's got a, a few different structures in it. And the amygdala specifically is really relevant to these children who we're talking about, the more difficult, complicated, you know, you go back for a million treatments and keep adding medications, kid. And I explained to them that your your limbic brain, your caveman, is your friend. Its job is to sort out who's dangerous and who's not, what's a dangerous situation and what's not. The challenge is that your amygdala attaches emotional significance to things upon perception before what I call the thinker, the neocortex, mm-hmm. can or the frontal lobes, can jump in to say, oh, everything's fine. Oh, I know that he said that, but he wasn't meaning to diss you so you don't have to punch him or you don't have to spread a rumor on Facebook. So the glitch for lots of these children is that because their um, their frontal lobes are developmentally less mature than the average person, their limbic brain is actually a little more dominant than in the typical child. And so a lot of what we're doing right now is helping people calm the caveman so that you can better engage the thinker. And I'm seeing enormous progress in schools, in homes, Absolutely. it's very gratifying. Absolutely, you know, it, it, I had actually I never posted it. I have to go back and find it. I wrote um, a blog about this uh, several years ago. I, you know, it was called "Got a Kid with Mental Illness: Learn About the Amygdala," oh, because yeah. it is so key. And it's not like you can change it, but if you understand it, you understand your child so much. And you, know, you like so them much better. better. I, I was talking with somebody. And um, and I was like, oh, it was Lori Dupar. I was talking to Lori Dupar, who's a uh, she's like a medication expert, a psychiatric nurse practitioner, who's a very good ADHD coach. And I said to her, Lori, when you understand the amygdala and you understand that the caveman is your friend, but sometimes right. we have to calm the caveman in order to use our decision making skills. Don't you like your kid more? And the answer is yes. It enhances enhances the when you understand brain function a little bit. It helps. It gives you the freedom to be attached more and love your child more and not take it all so personally. And when you learn to unravel it, even a little bit, and when you you become a detective and you find the triggers, what I found was that once you start having fewer and less severe um, 
outbursts and the the physical appearance. Any parent that's dealing with this, you know that dark look, the facial, the characteristics, everything changes. Um, the key is to get the system under control because once you start slowing them down and they're further apart, the more you'll be able to work in between the episodes because, you know, the with the like you can explain it much better than I can. Once all of these um chemicals, the adrenaline right. and the cortisol, once everything is pumping, it, it's a trickle effect. It just keeps happening more and more. It's really calming, like you say, calming the caveman. And um, you know, I really hope people are gonna tune in because this is what they need to learn and you know, you can teach it to them. Yeah, I think it's so well, I'm really excited about our show. I mean, our only problem with our show is going to be to remain calm and not talk over each other. I know. It's so darn exciting. But the interesting thing about the caveman, the other, you know, I I'm starting to regard these as keys to freedom. Okay? So, if you understand a little bit of the amygdala, it's a key to freedom. If you understand that about the existence of the caveman, it's a key to freedom because it's freedom to love your child. Well, the third thing is that just getting really specific about this whole cortisol loop, when you're caveman perceives danger, when your amygdala perceives danger, it sends messages, your brain sends messages to your adrenal glands, and they secrete these hormones that basically are designed to help you fight or flee, okay? Now, once you've got all of those chemicals running in your body, it, one, takes you a long time to calm down, and two, you make worse decisions, so I'm walking around to schools now giving talks trying to teach teachers about the defensive brain because we don't want to engage the caveman and we don't want to get the kid all defensive. We don't want to get them all anger, angry because then we're basically sabotaging their thinking skills. Now I'm not saying it's our fault, but what I'm hoping is if we could see the train wreck coming, like you said, we could diminish it sometimes. And the most amazing thing about what you just said, Marianne, is that you're actually retraining the brain. You know, when you get those, when the episodes start um, getting further apart, what you're doing is you're opening up new circuitry. And that circuitry says, we can evaluate this better. We don't have to jump on this right now. We can create what I call in the family coach method, delay. And what's so important about the delay is that those are your windows. Mm -hmm. During the delay... Those are the parents' windows where you go in and you teach the skills because you cannot teach a child. You cannot teach a raging, irrational child anything. So when your child is being defiant and being irrational, the worst thing you can do is to try to argue with them. I mean, you know, the best thing you could do is you could say, listen, I see you're really struggling. You know, I'm sorry you're having such a hard time. And just let them calm down because you need those windows because they will learn those skills. And um, But it's it's learning how to get those windows. And, you know, that's what you're teaching them in your online training program. So why don't you tell us about this program that you have? Oh, okay. Um, yeah, we just could talk about the caveman forever. Um, so the short story is that, I'm learning that a book isn't enough. A lot of people buy books. I buy books, and I've got a bunch of books right now sitting on my computer that I haven't had time to open, you know. So, <laughs> so, and the thing is about about therapy or in-home interventions is, is that it's, it's. I mean, I work fast, but, you know, generally it can be expensive. So I said, okay, let's do this. Let's make an online companion to the Family Coach Method. So I spent 200 hours. I'm still improving it. Because uh, that's the kind of person I am. I shoot new videos and I find typos and I'm just always in there tweaking it. But basically, it's the family coach method 
the family one is in 10 days. So if you go, if you sign up, you just go to lynnkenny.com and go under speaking. You'll see the Dr. Lynn Challenge. And basically when you sign up, it's $179 for, you know, tons of content, video, too much content probably, honestly, uh, videos and audios with other experts and PDFs that I really meticulously wrote with Jennifer Hashisaki and Jeannie Fletcher. So basically you sign up and every day a new module opens and in 10 days you've you've learned so much about the brain and discipline and the discipline trap and why values drive discipline and how to keep your kids in freedom land instead of consequence land it's basically the companion piece to the book so if you buy the book or you you bought the book and it's just sitting on your shelf you can take the program and i've even got one sheet that is the family coach tools and the tools reference every page in the book so if whatever like stands out to you because it's a lot of content, mm-hmm. Marianne. So let's say the self-regulation stuff and the caveman stuff appeals to you. You can just go to the Family Coach Tools page, and then it'll take you to the pages in the book. So it's a terrific companion program. And I, I'm, t- I'm training coaches as well. Um, uh, the coach program is eight. I think it's eight modules. So it's very, very, very rewarding. I feel very grateful. I feel like I did my piece of work for my work, and now right. – my goal over the next three years is just hang out with people like you and Sue Atkins and Wendy Young and Deb, everybody. I was Teacher just actually going to—I was just going to mention as you were saying people. this. Yeah, I was just going to say that. You know, I remember when I was on your show, you yeah. asked me what uh, role I thought the internet was going to play um, for mm. special needs parents, and I remember being a little taken, you know, off guard by the question, and and I was a little apprehensive because I felt that it really could be a double-edged sword because there is a lot of misinformation. But, you know, now that I, I've really gotten to know so many people and I've become very involved in um, advocating online, I mean, I see programs like yours and Model Me Kids, Kid Lucian, Squag. I mean, the, these these programs are changing lives for these kids and parents. So, I mean, and what you have is just incredible because if parents don't understand, if if they don't learn it, they can't know it. And if they don't know it, they can't apply it in their life to their child. And I feel the same way about clinicians. Like in September or October, I'm talking to our state psycholo- psychological association about mm-hmm. uh, basically, you know, therapy, child therapy in this crazy digital world because it's a two-edged sword for everybody. You know, here we were clinicians who were closeted in these offices with these 100% confidential relationships, and now we're on places like TweetDeck saying, this is educational information, please talk to your physician, but we're trying to just get the information to everyone who needs it, right? So it is a little bit of a two-edged sword, but one of my slides for that that, um, AZPA talk says, join Twitter, the greatest research opportunity in the world. It really is. You know, I mean, anybody that bashes Twitter really doesn't understand the work that's being done here, um, because it, I mean, in, in our case with the social, with the special needs community, it's such an isolated community. And I mean, I'm blessed that I'm, you know, I have New York City. I have, you know, some of the best doctors in the world. I've gotten the best advice in the world. Even before I started doing this show, I mean, I literally traveled around the world to get my daughter the best. But not everybody has the resources that I have. And to to have your program, it, it's just invaluable. There is, you know, there there are places people live where they don't have anybody that specializes in their child's disorder, and and they can't even begin to to comprehend it. So, 
um, you know, and, and that brings us back, Marianne, to empowering the parents. I'm sorry, exactly. But you know, that's why I'm going to have. Like, I'm just going to have to try to breathe and stay calm during our show because it's so exciting. I mean, one, thank you for partnering with me. Two, we can really help improve lives. And three, the people who listen can improve lives because they turn into brain ambassadors or whatever kind of ambassador you want to be, a special needs ambassador, and they start sharing the information. And then we've got this web of sharing so the people in Kentucky can learn and Alabama can learn and Maine can learn, and people can get out of the isolation and get into you know, knowledge and skills. Right. And, um, you know, basically what winds up, um, you know, what winds up happening is that, you know, you meet, it, it, it's it's always, it's like a magnet. Parents always seem mm-hmm. to be gravitated mm-hmm. towards other parents who have a child with a special need. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and, and basically one of the things that's so important is to get the messages out that we're both trying to get out, which is, you know, teaching the skills and understanding the behaviors. So one of the things you teach is um, how to break down a skill. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's what I was trying to get at before, but you, know, you can, I'm sure you mm-hmm. can explain it much better, but it's, it's key. So how would you teach a child um, teach a parent to break down a skill. Just give us a, a quick example. Oh yeah, I'll give you a quick example. Um, well, I ha- um, okay. So on my on my site by chance, I also wrote about this a while back, and it's I think it's skill sets, and I've got an example. I think of four skills that that I broke down in real life in my office for a fam for a few families. And basically, the short story with a skill is that make a box on a piece of paper, Mike. Make a box, three boxes in a row horizontally. So you've got a beginning, middle, and end to every action. Okay, You and I get on this call, we do this call, we say so long. There's a beginning, middle, and end to everything we do. The, the challenge is that most of the time when we're asking children to do a skill set, right? oftentimes there are sub-skills to that skill set that we're not taking into account, and therefore they get in trouble because they didn't do it. And I'm going to give you an example of listening skills. Um, you here? You good? Did I lose you guys? I feel like I lost you. All right, I'll keep talking just in case. My line looks like like it looks like it's working. Okay, so this is the thing about skill sets: is that let's say your skill is a listening skill. Okay, uh, Johnny, um, please please listen to me. Well, listening takes a lot of brain function. It takes one choosing not to talk. Two opening the auditory channels, three, preferably establishing eye contact, four, listening to what the person's saying, and five, taking action on it. All right, so it's not even three boxes. It's like five boxes. And I have this thing in my book called Walk and Talk where you actually walk the child through different squares. You know how you got squares in your kitchen, like little tiles? You walk them through the different squares of what it would take to meet the task demand. So let's imagine the task demand is, Joey, go get your backpack and meet me at the door. Those are actually two different task demands. So the first thing is, go get your backpack <laughs> and come back and talk to me. Then the second thing is, now let's go right. to the door. So I have on my um, you know, on my website, in my blog section, a PDF you can download if you want to hear a little bit about breaking down skill sets. But we, ex- we, we ask the children with developmental uniquenesses to do too much at one time. And I have a lot more success even, you know, just in regular life if I, if I break it down into a few different chunks. 
it's it's invaluable. <clears throat> Sorry, I have something in my throat. Um, because that's really what's going to to make all the progress. Lynn, I see we have some callers here, so I want to try oh, to get cool. a few on. Okay. Um, I have a name, Karen. Are you with Hello. us? Hello. Hi. How are you? Hey, hey, Karen. I'm fine. Um, I have a question. It's a little off topic, but I'm hoping you might be able to help me. Um, I am a stepmother to two older children um, dealing with an alienation of affection case. While the children were visiting over this past summer, I began to notice some things that were awry on my husband's credit, and it turns out that the children's mother has been committing fraud and stealing from the husband's credit. Um, this was a private conversation between the father and I behind closed doors. The child eavesdropped on it and then ran and told his mother. When the mother called my husband to ask him about it, both children lied straight to our faces. Now, I'll be honest with you, this has broken any trust I have with those children. And then to have the daughter tell us at the end of the visit, well, my mom said I can't come back and visit next summer if Devin doesn't come. By the way, Devin will be 18 and out of high school because I could be hurt. Well, it, you no, know, I can't give you a specific clinical advice, I was, I was but I can tell you cannot. that this whole box concept really applies to you mm-hmm. because you've got a bunch of boxes of beginning, middle, and end all mm-hmm. entangled. And I call this teasing the taffy or pulling apart the yarn. Mm-hmm. You have to pull apart all of the different lines of challenge that are going on because the trust really is much deeper. The trust issue is much deeper than what you witnessed, meaning that in order for a family that ha- has like this level of mistrust to get back to the core foundation, a whole process of treating each other with respect and dignity needs to start over again almost, you know what I mean? It's got to start over again instead of living in box one which and box three, which is the outcome. Oh, the kids were loyal to their mom. They were disloyal to us. We don't want them to come back, et cetera, et cetera, meaning that this whole thing is a big mountain, and if you're going to get that choo-choo train back down to the bottom of the mountain, it means taking steps to get back to respect and dignity across the whole landscape. My greater question is because as the stepmother, I'm going to have differing feelings than the biological father would, okay? I came into the situation and repaired the uh, feelings and relationships between my now husband and his ex-wife. I have always kind of been the catalyst, the mediator, the peacemaker. And as of right now, I have lost my ability at this time to be that person. And my question is to you as a, as a, obviously a professional, do I have the right at this point to take myself, put myself back at an arm's length and disconnect? Well, I think well, I'm going to let you answer that, Lynn, yeah. but I just want to yeah. make sure that we know that Everybody else um, we cannot, yeah. <clears throat> right. um, the coffee clutch um, and its guests cannot give any medical or legal advice. Um, so she, so you know, Dr. Lynn can give you a general idea of the situation, but she cannot give uh, direct personal advice. I understand. And I, I would say that, that you're in a you're in a um, position of going out and collecting information. So reading books, finding authors that you respect, reading about divorce, reading 
teenage as a second language, starting to collect information so that you make knowledgeable decisions right. is probably you know your best first step. And that's why Terrific. you're on the call today because you're listening right. and getting educated and and questioning. And I I think that that's all going to serve you very well. Well, Karen, I appreciate you for, your advice. Thank my you for joy, calling in. Joy. You know, it's 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 very difficult being a step parent. You know, it, it, things never are as they seem. So um, good luck. Thank and you. Uh, thank you for calling in. Bye bye. Bye bye. Um, Lynn, I wanted to um, talk about, you know, you're also doing some multimedia book um, work with Dr. Fletcher. Um, oh, yes. Oh, my so golly. So tell us quickly because we only have about 15 minutes. So, um, okay. 15 minutes? Oh, my golly. Okay. Um, so the story is that, you know, I said earlier, a book probably isn't enough. I've got a DVD out that I did with um, AOL and Better Life Media that's now in the Success Media Store in I think it was about 2007 that we shot that, um, so that's a decent that's a decent DVD. It was produced in Prince's studio, so that was kind of one of the funner things I've done in my career. Um, but we're thinking, well, how do we? Okay, one, we can work with people like you and all of our colleagues to disseminate this information, and hopefully, people will become brain ambassadors and share it. So they can read books, they can take online programs, we can go into schools and give talks. I'm doing webinars all around the world right now with the parenting team, Sue Atkins, Deb McNellis, and Wendy Young. And then Dr. Fletcher, who's a cognitive scientist, and I have been interacting uh, specifically on the self-regulation issue, and he is a software developer. And as we talk about theory, Vygotsky and all these people, Bloom and stuff, we started to say, you know what? apps. We've got to develop some apps for families that, one, are good for you, not bad for you. Two, you can use guilt-free. And three, our goal would be that they will actually improve some aspect of brain function, i.e. something as simple as calming you down in a way that um, is healthy for you. So right now we're in in communications with some people. And uh, hopefully, if it all goes great, we're going to have a few apps that can help, that, that guilt-free apps that can actually improve your kid's life. The, the apps are incredible. I mean, I know, what I technology has done, I mean, for children that are nonverbal, children with autism, the iPad, it's it's changing their lives. It's, it's just incredible. And hopefully we're going to have these people on our show. And I wanted to um, just talk a little bit about our venture that we have coming up, um, the, the Coffee Clatch is launching a network in September. It's the Talking Special Needs Network, and we have six shows coming on. And one of the shows is Talking Parenting, um, which you and I will be doing. And, um, you know, I'm hoping to have a lot of these people that you just mentioned come on. It'll be a similar format to this, and we'll we'll be bringing on guests. It's very exciting. I mean, we're going to have an opportunity to respect the parents and listen to what they have to say, and we'll have guests who will be very knowledgeable in their areas, and each show will probably have a little bit of a theme, but people will be able to come on in and ask questions, and we'll all put our heads together and try to make the world a better place. I look forward to it. It's going to be great. It's just going to be wonderful. So I I really want to thank you for joining us. I look forward to um, doing the new show. And um, I have one last question for you. Um, if, yeah. parents, <laughs> if parents want to change one thing mm-hmm. in their parenting, what should it be? Um, well, I think the first the first thing is if you could stop screaming, that helps. I mean, it, when I have parents who are in crisis and they 
come in as though I can magically improve their family. I say, I'm going to really give this my best shot, but I need to have a handshake and a promise that, you know, I'll even see you again in two or three days, but for whatever time frame you feel like you could refrain from yelling, we got to calm the family down. So the first step is calm the family down, and then once they're calm, the next step is to eat whole food. It's so true. It's so Thank true. you for asking. So many people tell me, oh, my throat is killing me from yelling. What are you yelling yeah. at? You know, I just look at them like, what are you yelling at? Who are you yelling at? They're in at? pain. They're in such pain I and agony and they feel I so incompetent. Yeah, but if we right. can calm them down, then we can, it's then the window opens to finding peace through real skill sets. We're not just going to chat at you. We're actually going to teach you the words, teach you the actions, model for you, you know, right. be real. We're going to be real with you, but we've got to stop the yelling. Right. Okay. Well, we're going to do it. Thank you for joining me. I really appreciate it, Lynn. Thank you for having me, and I look forward to our new show, and I'm wishing I was just really expressing my gratitude to everybody who participated tonight. Okay. Yeah, the chat's been very busy. I think it's still going over there. Okay. I have a few announcements. Um, Wednesday night, I am going to have sitting with me here, which is different. Usually um, my guests call in, but I'm going to have Diane Kistner, who is the Director of Outplacement um, for the Windsor School, which is just exceptional school um, for children with language-based learning disabilities. And um, she's going to tell us about a program that is just outstanding um, for these children and why placement really is everything. Um, the, the difference that it makes in these children's lives. Um, Sunday, we have Jasper Steed, who is the founder of Autism Smiles, and I am so excited because one of my favorite people, Pierrette D'Entremont, who is one of our um, hosts on the new network and has been doing our chat, is going to be hosting that show. Um, I just want to do a quick rundown of the shows on the new network. Uh, one of the shows is Maximizing Your Child's Potential, and I am honored to have Drs. Gary Brannigan and Dr. Howard Margulies, um, both who are authors of Reading Disabilities, Beating the Odds. Um, they are the most respected professionals in the special needs community, and they are going to be doing a weekly show that is just going to be so informative and um, really just change these children's lives. And, you know, Lynn and I will be, that will be on Mondays. On Tuesdays, Lynn and I will be talking parenting. On Wednesdays, Elise Ronan, who does our um, autism chats here on Twitter, is going to be joined by Susan Courtliette, who is a life skills coach and a college coach for children with autism. And they are doing Raising ASD Kids and Teens. And believe me, uh, there are no two better. So um, they are going to be bringing you from infancy to college with children with um, on the spectrum and giving you practical tips, tangible tools to use in raising your, your um, autistic child. On Wednesdays, oh, I'm sorry, Thursdays, is Special Education Law and Rights. And this is huge because I have always said the most difficult part of parenting a child with a special needs is educating them. And um, knowing their rights is key. So I am just thrilled to have Jennifer Laviano, a special education attorney, and Julie Swanson, who is a parent of a teenager with a disability and a special education advocate, who will be doing that show, Your Special Education Rights, Thursdays at 6 p.m. We also have, on Fridays, the inclusive class. If it couldn't get any better, Nicole 
Eridix, who is the founder of Inclusive Classroom, who gives the most incredible tips on creating a sensory-friendly uh, environment in the schools, in inclusive classrooms, everything that a teacher and a parent would need to know to really start very young at making a successful environment, is joined by Terry Morrow the author of 50 Ways to Support Your Child's Special Education and the Everything Parents Guide to Sensory Integration Disorder. She is the writer for specialneeds.com at about.com. She is phenomenal. They will be teaming up on Fridays at 9 a.m. And then we have Sundays. Pierrette D'Entremont is going to be joined by Jamie Tobias. Pierrette D'Entremont, as everyone knows, has been one of our moderators from the beginning. She is the creator of Kids Companion, Chulery, a sensory solution for children. Jamie is a, an Internet whiz, and they are going to be bringing you the best gizmos, gadgets, and sensory solutions for your child, and that will be Sunday nights at 8 p.m. So we have an incredible network coming. We will be bringing on hundreds of guests. Um, it will be very interactive. We're going to be launching the website sometime next week. There will be a questionnaire where you can ask the hosts questions. You can ask upcoming guests questions. You can request guests. You can suggest topics. This is going to be interactive to give parents the information that they need and that they want. So I hope you'll be joining us. That will be launching September 6th. As I end each show, you are your child's best advocate. If not you, then who? Become an informed, educated parent. Thank you for joining us tonight on the Coffee Clatch.